Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Don Matheson with Remax in Scottsdale, Arizona. Last year, he closed 113 transactions with a total sales volume of $68 million. His average sales price was $601,000, of which 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. He has a six-member team, three buyer-seller agents, one listing coordinator, one leads coordinator, and one team leader. Don Matheson is the team leader of the Matheson team. He's been an agent for 38 years. In his best year, 2010, Don sold 543 homes worth $110 million. He sold over $1 billion of homes in his career. In this call, Don talks about why he never finished high school, moving to Phoenix after running a successful practice in Vancouver for over a decade, even with all his experience having a slow start in the new market, the chance encounter with a young internet website builder, his first website, azgolfhomes.com, that ramped up his business, why he specializes in golf course and luxury homes, it's 75% of his business, generating your own leads with SEO and ranking high in Google search, becoming a hyper-local agent, his million-dollar home geographic farming program that captured a 12% market share, how he approaches his past clients and sphere of influence, why small, intimate client parties can be more successful than large events, how to travel the world, meet new clients, and write it off as a business expense, what every agent should do every morning to have a super productive day, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Don. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Don, it's great to have you here. Don, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Sure, Mike. I actually attended the University of Hawaii and took hotel restaurant management and worked in the restaurant hotel industry for a few years. One of my customers uh, suggested I get into real estate because I was working lots of hours and that I would do better financially if I went into sales and so I did that, transitioned into real estate. And it was really tough. I mean, I got to admit, I phoned him up and, you know, I said, hey, I'm not making any money and I really don't know what to do because back then there really wasn't a lot of training and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I hung out with him basically. He picked me up every morning at 7 o'clock and dropped me off about 10, 11 o'clock at night. I shadowed him for a couple of months, which I was very fortunate. He was the number one producer in our market. He really gave me a, a lot to think about and gave me a lot of direction and 
then I started taking sales training courses, Dale Carnegie and public speaking courses and all that kind of thing just to improve my ability to communicate with people and and not only communicate, but communicate's a funny word. People think it's speaking, but communication is also listening and listening really well. So that's how I started. You know, it took a while, but, uh, you know, certainly I, you know, remember that back then I wanted to be in the Million Dollar Club and that's kind of laughable now, but looking back, because a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then, but, you know, I set good goals for myself in the beginning and I continually set the bar higher and higher and and as a result of setting that bar higher, your expectations are a little bit different and you have to, you know, really give some thought to how can I how can I get to the goal line, you know, uh, where that bar is established and what skills do I need, what what help do I need along the way. So, you know, that's how really I've governed it. And, I, and a fellow came in, uh, we have a broker for our office, and he was talking, there's another top producing agent in our office. I do a little bit more volume than he does, but he said, you know, I've noticed there's a big difference between you and this other person. And I said, oh, really, what's the difference? He said, well, if both of you are taken out to the middle of a field and told to dig a, a hole five feet deep by five feet wide, a perfect square, the other person would immediately roll up their sleeves, get to work, and start digging the hole. You would call your contacts, and immediately the hole would get dug. So you really get at delegating things. I think the ability to delegate has really helped me in my career and finding the right people to delegate it to. You know, I mean, you just can't go and have somebody do it. It's not competent to accept the responsibility of that delegation. Does it come natural to you to delegate or did you have to develop that skill? And if you had to develop it, how did you do it? I've always played on sports teams, I guess, and, you know, we always had different units of the team that would do certain things, you know, relative to defense, relative to offense, and that kind of thing. And so what it really made me think about is it made me think about the fact that, you know, other people are better at doing some things than I am, and to not be afraid of accepting that. I never finished high school, actually, which is kind of interesting back way back when, and I never finished community college, and I never finished university, although I went to all three. You know, I had a learning disorder, and, you know, back then they couldn't, they didn't have the ability or weren't aware of diagnosing whatever it is, whether it's, a te- in my case, probably attention deficit disorder, but thank goodness now they do that for children and, you know, allows them to get a better quality education and and be successful. But I think that, you know, I always looked to people that can help me, help me in sports, help me in, in life in general. And, and I was constantly trying to learn as best I could at my own level. So delegation, I always look for quality mentors. I've always done that. People that could teach me something in a very moral, ethical way. And so that's, I think, how it came about. Don, it sounds like you had a slow start in real estate. How long before things started clicking along and you felt good about your career choice? My first year, I wanted to make $30,000. You know, that was quite a lot of money back a long time, 37 years, 38 years ago. It didn't take that long to get there. 
you know, I wanted to make 30, I made 28,000 or 29,000. I didn't quite hit my mark, but you know, the bar was set high for me at that time. And I felt really good about the fact that I was able to do that. So every year I just continued to work on it met people who helped me as far as marketing went, was doing some original marketing things back then. I mean, people weren't doing mail-outs. People weren't doing responsive mail-outs back then. And, you know, I was the first one in a geographic area that was doing it. You know, I got a lot of attention. I got a lot of notice in a very, very short period of time, which was fortunate. The space now is a lot more crowded with those types of things. So to differentiate yourself is a little bit more challenging, but again, there's lots of opportunities to differentiate yourself and do a lot of things to, you know, become successful. Having said that, I think people, when they come in the real estate business, think that, well, I know a lot of people and people like me and everything like that, but I think it really takes three to five years, unless it's some unique situation it takes three to five years before you really get your business up and running and being self-sustaining. Don, you mentioned you've been in the business for 38 years. Let's fast forward to today. How many homes did you sell last year? It was 113. But when I first moved here, like I moved from Canada to Arizona about 20 years ago coming this fall. And that was an interesting effort too because I had a really – you know, pretty solid real estate business in Vancouver, Canada. I always say I'm Canadian by birth, American by choice. But, you know, I came here and, you know, after a year and a half, I ran out of money. And my brother, thank God for my brother, you know, I phoned him up and he uh, he gave me some money for about six months to keep going. And, you know, I was turning the corner. What really helped me is back then, 17 years ago, I started my first website, which was azgolfhomes.com. You know, there wasn't anybody in that. Well, there were people in that space, but very few. I mean, we didn't, email was a foreign name to me. I didn't really know that or anything about it. I didn't know about websites or the internet back then. And now it's so mainstream. It's incredible. But, you know, that really helped my business in prospecting because it was just another piece of the puzzle. Still prospected a lot and, you know, built my business one client at a time to today, you know, and, and and we had the dark years as well back then, Mike, and, you know, I, the three-year period where it was just horrible for a lot of my fellow Americans and families in this country. It was just awful. So we got in the foreclosure business back then and, you know, went from selling more of a luxury type home product to selling homes for $12,000. Our average price back then was 112000 but we sold some for 12000 some for 200000 But we were selling 500 of them, you know, a year. And it wasn't a really exciting business. It, it was dynamic, but not exciting. In some ways, it was really sad because, you know, you had to arrange for eviction of families out of their homes and try to find them alternate accommodation when their credit scores were shot because of the downturn in the housing they were underwater, old banks, lots of money, and tried to sort it out for them. You know, it's just, it was a lot of hard work, and most days it was very depressing. But, you know, we managed to get through it, and we never forgot about our past clients and our regular business, even though it dropped by about 50%. And we carried on, and, and you know, we're back to what I would say more of a normal market here in the Metro Phoenix area, and Scotts, definitely Scottsdale, Arizona, where 
I live and, and work and play, my wife Jenny. But we've been very fortunate. Last year, doing 113 transactions. The year before, I think I did 148. Well, you know, my whole philosophy is I want to do less transactions but move my price point upwards. And by doing less transactions, moving your price point up, dealing with a different demographic, you know, you have the same amount of income, but you seem to have more time. And so as I get older, I realize time is more valuable than money. Don, I think that's reflected in your numbers, your philosophy. If, if I understand correctly, and, and you can tell me if this is right, last year you sold 113 homes worth $68 million in sales volume. But going back to the, the end of the, the Great Recession, you sold 543 homes worth $110 million in 2010. Does that sound correct? Yep, that's pretty correct. So you were a, a luxury home agent before the Great Recession. You chameleoned, you adjusted with the market and went into the REO, which in Arizona, that's all that was selling there for a few years. And now you're moving back into luxury. So you've transitioned markets. You're correct in that you know we transitioned, but we never forgot about our regular clients. We always worked with them, even in the... Great Recession, uh, or the dark years as they call them, but we're always staying in contact with them, always communicating with them, with our regular market, and at the same token, we were, you know, working in the distressed property market. So, you know, it was interesting, you know, very interesting. Don, do you know how many homes you've sold in your career? Golly, going back 38 years, I've sold nearly a billion dollars worth so far since I've been in Arizona in the last 20 years. It's a lot of homes. I keep track and, uh, you know, I'd have to get that metric, but we do have the numbers on Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. Mike, it's not really an important thing to me. What's really important is that we created a, a positive experience for our clients and a positive experience for the other agent's clients and the other agent as best we can. The other agent is our customer, our clients are, because we have fiduciary duty to our, to the buyers or sellers we deal with, they're our client. But the same token, the other agent who is the customer, we want to make sure they have a positive experience with us and want to, want to come back and do business with us again and again. And we, we find that a lot of agents will come back and want to show our properties or do business with us or do business with our buyers because they go, you know, your buyers are qualified. It's a pretty smooth transaction. You, you do negotiate hard for your clients. But at the end of the day, you know, I know that dealing with you, I'm going to get a fair shake on it. Don, let's step back for a minute and give people a big picture view of where you're at. Where is Scottsdale, Arizona? Scottsdale, Arizona. We are in the kind of this more southern, well, middle southern part of Arizona, the biggest city is Metro Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we're the home of the Arizona Cardinals. For all the football fans out there, we're home of the Phoenix Suns. We're home of the, the for the hockey fans, the Phoenix Coyotes. team's not doing too well right now, but we're also home to Arizona State University, which is a fabulous business school, and it's one of the largest universities in the United States. And we, we really got a lot going on here. We have TGen, which is a 
tremendous uh, research group that's doing cutting-edge research on cancer treatments. Uh, we have the Mayo Hospital here in clinic, and the Mayo Hospital is just getting set to open up their proton treatment unit, which is cold, basically cold radiation. It's a $170 million piece of equipment, so they'll start treating people with very specialized types of cancers. So, you know, it's a really pretty awesome place. We're right next to California on the west of us, and the south of us is Mexico, and the north of us is Colorado. And, you know, we're very well positioned in uh, the United States. Climate is desert-like in the summer, for sure. Really very moderate for moderate client, great temperatures. You can do most things out, outside here year-round. In the summer, you want to do them early in the morning, obviously, but for nine months of the year, the weather's just great. Do you know what the population is there in the Metro Phoenix area in your market? Yeah, I do. In Scottsdale, Arizona, there's about 225,000 people. And in the Metro Phoenix area, there's about 5 million. And the state, we have about 6.5 million. I believe those numbers are correct. Don, could you please describe your current real estate market? The average price, I mean, if you look at the Phoenix market, it's different than the market we operate in, which is Scottsdale. Scottsdale, the median price is right around 500000 The types of homes, we do have entry-level homes, which entry-level in our marketplace would be around two fifty. The middle or median price of the market would be more like six, six to seven hundred, and then luxury we go right up to. There's a home on the market currently at thirty-two million. Average days on market's gone up a little bit. We're about 118 days on market. Price trend now is slowly increasing. I'd say we're kind of back to historical norm of three to five percent, and this year. My uh, friend is head of real estate studies at Arizona State, and he's calling for about a 2 to 3% increase in pricing. Have the homes gotten back up to the prices they were before the dark years, the Great Recession? You know, Mike, just about. I'd say they're about 80 to 90%. And it depends really, you know, one thing that I always get a kick out of is when housing experts talk about national housing numbers. Well, Housing is a kind of a local, hyper-local situation. And, you know, there's certain pockets within every geographic area that perform at different levels than other pockets. And that could be because of schools, churches, affiliations, proximity to work areas, access, egress to major highway systems or airports or those kinds of things. So I think that if you look at it, I think that generally our, our real estate market here is pretty darn healthy. We've washed out foreclosures. They're at an all-time low, and short sales are at an all-time low now, too. Don, do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? Yes, a number of them. I don't think you can have one and be successful. Let me back that up. I mean, I don't think you can have one specialization and avoid the the hills and valleys of real estate because it goes in cycles, but what we've tried to do is concentrate on our past clients, our sphere of influence, our referral business, and of course, a geographic farm. I mentioned earlier, Mike, that we have a few websites, one being 
acgolfhomes.com, which we've had that out there since 1996, so almost 19 years. We were an early adapter in that area. About 10 years ago, we bought a URL and developed it, scottsdalerealestate.com. We have a URL called dcranchhomes.com, which we have had the website up for about five years, and only recently have we gone to a much more user and consumer-friendly site, which we've renovated, Scottsdale Real Estate and DC Ranch Homes at the same time, and now they're running really nicely. AZ Golf Homes is being renovated off, offline. So those those things are constantly in motion. We're constantly upgrading them and, and doing them. So the one deals with golf courses. Scottsdale Real Estate is a luxury brand. Scottsdale's a luxury brand, so that covers us there. And then the one community which has about 2,900 homes, DC Ranch, which the average price in there is about a million dollars. That's our hyper-local website that deals with that particular niche. 19 years ago, you started up AZ Golf Homes. Sounds like you've been specializing in golf course properties. Let's talk about that. How did you decide to go into the golf course home market and how did you approach it? How did you become the expert in that market? When I first started the first website, I met a, a kid who was working on a computer in the, in the hallway of the office for one of my colleagues at Remax. I asked him, I said, hey, son, what's new? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what's new? And he said, well, in my world? I said, yeah, in your world. He said, well, the Internet. I said, well, what's the Internet? He said, well, the Internet is like, um, well, for instance, he said, you could take your listings and advertise them 24 hours a day, seven days a week for free. And I go, oh, my God, you're kidding me. He said, no, we can do that for free. I said, wow, that's fantastic. And he said, the other thing you can do with it is you can send mail. Do you do mail outs? I said, yeah. He said, you can send mail to people for free. I go, you you got to be kidding me. And he said, no. I said, well, how do I get one of those? He said, well, I could make you one. I said, you could? He said, yeah, for sure. I said, how much would that cost me? He said, 1500 bucks. I said, oh, okay. But I didn't have 1500 bucks. So I had to phone my brother who was supporting me then. I said, listen, I got this thing. And it, like, have you heard of the internet? He goes, yeah, I kind of think they do that for defense or something like that. I said, you heard an email? He said, yeah, but I'm not sure that'll be, you know, people will adapt to that very good. <laughs> I said, well, this kid wants to make me this thing called a website. Have you heard of that? He said, no, I really haven't heard of websites. I said, he wants 1500 bucks to do this. He said, well, do you think it's a good idea? I said, I don't know. It might be. So he says, well, listen, if you think it might be, then, you know, you've always done pretty good. And I'll send you 1500 bucks. I said, okay. So I called the kid up. And I said, well, I'm in. And he said, well, you have to have a theme. And I said, well, what do you mean a theme? He said, well, something that you're interested in. And I said, well, I play golf. He said, and I said, there's golf communities around here and, you know, that kind of thing with really cool golf courses. And he said, well, why don't you have a website for golf? And I said, yeah, okay. And he said, well, we've got to think about what. So we collaborated. And he said, well, how about Arizona Golf Homes? And he said, well, that would be, your email address would be too long. I said, well, how about AZ 
golf homes or AZ golf homes. And he goes, okay, let's do it that way. So we put the site up then, and that's how it started. And now you can get a website for cheap, 39 bucks or something. And, and, you know, we've obviously morphed that thing, and we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and had people from foreign countries work on it and mess it up and, you know, people locally work on it and mess it up. And believe you me, we've been ripped off by a lot of charlatans in the World Wide Web trying to discover the magic bullet. What conclusion have you come from that? What items should you have on your website? What pays for itself? What's a value? I think that what the consumer's looking for, obviously, I mean, Zillow proved what the consumer's looking for, truly approved what the consumer's looking for. Realtor.com proved what they're looking for, which is basically they want to look at listings and they want to have some idea of what properties might be worth and that kind of thing. So we think that telling the world that we're the best agent ever is irrelevant and giving them listings and being able to showcase our listings to a high volume of eyeballs on our websites is what the consumer wants, both the person listing a home with us and the buyers that are looking at our site. And buyers tell us that they really like our site from the fact that it's very easy to maneuver. We just had a lady come into the office the other day. She was visiting. She was staying over at the uh, Weston hotel here and and she called me from her room and she said oh I'm on your website and she said I picked up the book that's in the hotel room and there's three or four agents there but I looked at your website and you guys really seem to know the market and understand the market uh, I really like how easy it is to get around I can look at listings and that kind of thing but you also had a lot of information stuff on there too that was very easy with our blogs we blog original content three pieces every day and we have for about eight months so we've got eight months times what's that that's 240 days times three is about what 720 original content articles and we've learned how to create and curate content that's original and i think it's been very helpful if you were to google scottsdale real estate or scottsdale realtor or scottsdale homes for sale you'll find that we're on the front page of google google likes us with Scottsdale Real Estate. They like us for AZ Golf Homes, too, and they are liking us not quite as much. They're not showing us as much love for DCRanchHomes.com, but we're getting there with that. So, And we've got a strategic plan in place to really push those, push them, make them more effective, create more traffic, create more leads, create more opportunities for us to create more clients for myself and my team. Sounds like you've developed your SEO plan, your search engine optimization through those Google searches. And one of the main components that you're running right now are the original blog posts that you're putting up three times a day. Did you see a big jump in your ranking in Google once you started doing those blog posts? It wasn't a big jump, but it was certainly better traffic. And when we when you renovate a site, and we're, we're on WordPress platforms now, which makes it really easy for us to make changes. But when you renovate a site offline and you bring the new site online, generally what happens is your page ranking will drop for maybe a week or two or three, and then it starts to climb back up. So 
you're a new agent out there putting up a site or renovating your old one, cleaning it up and taking your high school photo off there and putting your current photo today on there and you do some you know, housekeeping on your site, don't have fear that your site loses ranking. So right now our sites are outranking, depends on the time of day, um, but we outrank Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and, and it's kind of really great to see because I think, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I think that there's a lot of disintermediation, I guess is the word, going on in the Internet world with the recent goings-on with Rupert Murdoch and Zillow and Trulia that we'll come back to. So we'll talk about that a little bit too. What percentage of your business is currently golf course homes? Well, when you're in North Scottsdale, golf is a big component of it. We have a number of golf courses in North Scottsdale that are private, gated areas. And so for me, I, I would say that you know, 70, 80% of our business is golf course homes, I guess by definition, because they're in a golf course community. But whether those people are golfers or not, that's another side of that story, you know. Sounds like 19 years ago, you decided you wanted to niche in for your website. Golf was a, something that you like to do. This this young fella mentioned that that's the way you should direct your website, and it kind of clicked in. Have you always worked in the Scottsdale community where golf courses were prevalent? Yes, I've always worked in Scottsdale or, you know, we do a little bit of, there's another luxury town called the town of Paradise Valley. And we sell maybe two or three down there every year. But, you know, that's two or three out of, you know, 113. So it's not a big component, but, you know, my wife certainly knows that market very, very well. And we can operate down there. But we generally try to stick to our knitting, if you know what I mean. When you say golf course homes, do you mean the homes that are backing right up to the golf course or just in the general community? They may not be backing up to the golf course, but they're just a few blocks away. Well, there's only so many homes that can be on a golf course. So, you know, and sometimes we live on a golf course, but you got to be prepared for, you know, I tell people, hey, you know, where we live, we're on the second hole, and they cut the grass at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. So long as you don't mind noise from lawnmowers and you don't mind getting the occasional golf ball, then you're good you know, with living on a golf course, but there's other areas where you can live in a golf course community with a view up to a wash or even some people don't mind living, you know, as long as the landscaping is nice and the yard is nice and the yard faces the right way. I mean, it's, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, you know, 10 people can see a house and only one likes it and wants to buy it, you know, or five people can want to buy it for various reasons. So, but all the other components have to be there as well. I mean, is the home going to be a good resale area? Why, if I want to sell this home 10 years down the road, is someone else going to want to buy it? Is in that golf community, is the homeowners association in good shape financially? Those kinds of things. There's there's many, many issues that create comfort in a buyer's mind in wanting to buy a, a piece of property. And I think as an agent, not a matter of selling something to somebody. It's a matter of creating quality comments, content, as far as what 
uh, and disseminating the value of being in that community versus community B. And there's a lot of great communities around. I mean, you know, just like as in every agent's city, there's lots of great communities and areas that people want to be in. Why are they different? And I think as you become more skilled as a real estate agent and begin to understand the heartbeat of those communities, and I say, you know, going forward, I think it's going to be a, and, and I'm seeing it more and more, it's not a new concept, but a hyper-local world. And that's one thing I learned by Yelp. Well, Yelp created some hyper-local activity as far as giving opinions on the best of this or the best of that. Don, do you work a geographic farm? And if so, do you have one or multiple farms? Yes, we do. We work a community where we live. There is about 2,900 properties in that neighborhood. For the most part, it's all gated. I think that's just about the right size for us. We have about 12% of that market share, which is a pretty big market share. And over a seven-year period, we went from zero to 12%. The turnover rates are pretty good. The price point is pretty good. And I just like living in the area, and it's a nice area, and it's a very desirable area. People like it, you know? Is this the price point earlier at the D.C. Ranch, where you mentioned it was about a million-dollar average? Yeah, pretty much. I think you asked me offline, how do you pick a farm? What criteria do you use? And, you know, we know how big it is. And we looked at other farm areas, too, before we picked this one. And I guess the criteria we use is, hey, how much real estate is selling there? And you can just do the math. Whatever your capture rate on your commissions is as a percent or flat rate or whatever the deal is, if you've got 100 homes that are selling, then you've got 200 possibilities of being involved in that transaction, one on the list side and one on the selling side, right? So you've got 100 and 100 equals 200. And again, I to keep it really simple for me. So if I got 200 total ends that are available or sides, whatever you prefer to call it, and let's say it's million, so you've got $200 million worth of real estate. So you say, okay, well, let's say each transaction represents X amount of income. And then you say, okay, well, who's who has the biggest market share in that neighborhood? And then you can kind of do the math and figure out probably what kind of income they have. And you rank all the people that are getting income out of that area and you look at what they're doing. And that's a fairly simple thing to do. You just either can look up MLS data, or you might be able to go and use some sort of broker metrics data or whatever. And so you can say, okay, this is how much is available as far as income in that neighborhood. And you'll find that if you look at the top 10, and you'll find that once you get past the first five, it's very fractured and there's nobody that really dominates after the top five. And so you'll find that there's probably... 60, 70, even 85% of income available to another agent that wants to be a dominant agent and wants to crawl into position number six. Start crawling upwards, you'll find you're going to go into four and three and two. And so then what I pay attention to is what are other people doing that I could be doing better to create 
X amount of income for myself. So I think when you're looking at a farm area, that's what I would do first. And then you go, okay, this much money is available. And you just draw a little block. I draw little boxes and I go, what do I have to do to capture that? So then I go, in my case, I went, okay, we have a country club in the area. So I joined the country club. Two, I joined the health club. Three, I went on the board of the Chamber of Commerce in our in our town. Four, I became on the board of the HOA itself. So what happened was is that now I became fully integrated into that community and people would see me in a lot of different places. And also, I would support the local merchants in that area, like the local restaurants particularly. Another friend of mine, Michael Nair, he wrote a book called Seven Levels of Communication. Mike's a good friend of mine. Mike and I had breakfast, and he said, the only reason I'm coming to breakfast and telling you what to do is because I think you probably do it. So he said, listen, here's what you do. He said, you send out postcards. So I started sending out postcards. I started sending out once a week. And then after a period of time, I backed it off. And obviously, there's not as many people here in the summer, so I back it off to once a month. But I still send them consistently every couple weeks. And we're on schedule. So I've been doing that for about seven years. So that's really expensive. Because a lot of our people are out of town, I do addressed mail. I don't like that door direct. I should back that off. I think door direct is a good program. I think it's got a certain application and I think what I use it, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to use it in the future with another idea I have. But my sense is that I like directed mail. And then we built a website just for that community which is dcranchhomes.com. So now it's working really well. And like I said, we have about 12% market share. And we've gone from nothing to 12%. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Don, you mentioned that you look at the turnover rate. Do you know what the turnover rate is in your farm there, the the DC ranch? Do you know how many homes sold last year, for instance, or, or what the percentage turnover rate is? Yeah, it was about a hundred and I think it was about a hundred and a quarter, I think, and we did we actually did about fifteen in there. So we got twelve percent. So you outlined how you went about that. You joined clubs, became a, a member of the community, you supported local merchants, you created a specific website. You sent out postcards. You've mentioned the website. Tell us more about the postcards. How big is the postcard? What does it look like? What's on it? Why has it been working so well? Because it's been consistent, same brand, same color, same everything. It's a 12 by 5 or 12 by 6, something around there. I don't have the exact measurement because I don't have a ruler in my office because we don't have rulers anymore. Oh, one other thing we do is we are a major donor at our local hospital and they put a big plaque up there with this brand new hospital and uh, one of the emergency rooms, it's actually emergency room five at Scottsdale Healthcare here in uh, North Scottsdale in our neighborhood and as a matter of fact, another guy just went there on the weekend, he had an injury and he, he said, geez, I'm waiting for the doctor to come and there's your name on the wall and he said, God, I can't believe it, your sign's everywhere. And he even talked to the doctor, and the doctor said, yeah, he tried to sell me a house once, but 
we couldn't make quite make it happen, you know. So it's nice that one, it makes you feel good because you're equipped one of the emergency rooms with all the equipment in there, and two, we get a little bit of a, you know, people talk about it and think it's really a good thing to give back to the community, to donate, to be charitable. Don, could you describe the postcard a little more? You said it's consistent. What is on the postcard? If somebody were to look at it, what would they see? Well, they see listings for sales on the back and solds on the front, generally. One big, huge picture. And now other people are copying us, too, because we went with a side-to-side picture, full picture, pretty much, on the whole postcard on the front, and then there's a little bit of a blurb on us on the back. One other thing we do in that community, too, is there's a community newspaper, and we take a half page in there. And I don't do any newspaper advertising other than I like community newspapers. I just, that's about it. And I don't do magazine. Or, you know, I don't do Homes and Land. I don't do Luxury Home Magazine. I don't do any of that stuff. I quit doing it in 2000. On your postcard, do you have your picture on the postcard? Yeah, we do. It's big enough, you can see us, my wife and I, but small enough that, you know, we're not the focus of it. And you're showing success with the just listed, just sold. Do you have the prices listed there? Yeah, we do. I assume there's a call to action there to either call you or go on the website. What kind of call to action do you have on your postcard? Um, we, we try to drive people to the website. Do you offer a free market analysis or a free list of homes on that postcard? No, it's a pretty simple message. It just says we get homes sold. And now people go, oh, my God, I get, I get five or six um, postcards a month from you. But really, they don't. They get other agent stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that they just think it's ours. A postcard, the mailbox gets opened, and the postcard lasts about three seconds. Look, hand, garbage, you know, one, two, three. So you're just trying to get your message that you're there in the market. Exactly. Not complicated. We don't expect people to, oh my God, this is beautiful. We're going to keep it, you know, forget it. It's going in the trash. You mentioned colors. You use the same color scheme. What colors are you using? We like green and gold. Just because I like green and gold. Now people are using gold a little bit <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. But gold and black I see here. And I got another one laying on my desk I track. And this is more white. But I like I like green. I like gold. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just my – I like blue too. So I like – I'm a primary color guy. I think – those primary colors have been around a long time. The rainbow has been around long before man was around. How often are you sending out the postcards now? Twice a month in season and then once a month during the summer. We'll send out about 22 postcards a year, 3,000 a time. So that's 66,000 postcards a year. Not that many. It must be working since you're sending out so many. Do you also put any type of tagline in there or message that you are the expert or the specialist in the area? Let me go grab one. Let me just walk around here and find one. Yep. It says, sometimes we do different taglines. 
And uh, the Matheson team gets home sold. And then the bottom says, it's just a, a driver to our websites. Get news, advice, homes for sale, and much more. And again, it's very clear, full side-to-side picture and two of our listings on the back that are for sale. On there, does it mention DC Ranch? No, it doesn't, because it doesn't have to. It does not have to. So you don't label yourself as the DC Ranch expert in any of your marketing. You're simply showing properties that are in there, and people are recognizing them. People recognize us because we're in the country club, we're in the health club, we're at the hospital, we're in the community newspaper. We send out 66,000 pieces of mail to the neighborhood, and we donate money. I'm on the board of the HOA, the local one, on the board of the chamber. You're farming the neighborhood you're living in there, the D.C. ranch. Are you also doing any type of mail-outs or farming to the golf course homes? No, we don't. You know, we don't. We don't. The, those communities, we don't specifically do that. We own ScottsdaleRealEstate.com. And we're just getting set to do what I think is a very unique thing to get that marketed. And before I say it works, i got to see if it does. And that'll be a discussion for another day. So it sounds like, if I understood you correctly, the big driver for your golf course homes has been the website. Have you done anything else to drive the business for the golf course homes? One of the things that's really critical is, and I see people have, you know, golf course homes on websites, right? But the fact is that I've played every golf course and I've been to every golf course, all the private ones anyways. And I've eaten, eaten the food there. I've experienced the service there. I've experienced the golf course there. I know how it plays. I'm a pretty good golfer. You know, I'm not professional or anything, but I'm a single-digit handicap guy take my game somewhat seriously not too serious that I can't have any fun doing it but I know about golf and when I get a call from my website or someone wants to talk to me I mean someone called the other day and they asked their spouse in the background hey do you want to say anything to the guy and the person in the background said I don't want to talk to him ask him okay ask him what his handicap is and so I said four she said four okay I'll talk to him <laughs> and I can articulate like every, every golf community or in every community are like kids from the same family. And those communities, whether a golf community or just a community in your local city or town, they all have different personalities, just like your children in your family. They have different personalities. They say have the same parent called community, but they have different personalities. And so as an agent, I think to be successful, you have to be able to articulate the value and lifestyle of that community. Because I always believe that if you can, if you can solve the lifestyle component for that person that wants to be there, then you'll find them in the right house because they'll be so confident in your ability to understand and listen and articulate what's important to them that you're set. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Don, I want to switch gears. A large percentage of your business is coming from past clients and sphere of influence, repeat and referrals. In fact, I think it's somewhere north of 70%. Let's talk about that for a few moments. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? We kind of have past clients and sphere. I mean, even though they're segregated, they're they're the same. But I would say between the two of them, about 4,000. And you mentioned you have them broken out. Do you recall how many are, say, past clients? Yes, we do. And we use Top Producer. We like that database, mainly because I've had it for since the very beginning of 38 years ago or, or so when it was orange letters on a black screen. Do you recall how many past clients you have in there? I didn't really keep the past client buyers from the, the dark years. Because it really wasn't where, and, and I, not saying this in a uppity sort of way or anything like that, but it wasn't really the price point I wanted to target. So, past clients regular, I would say we got, we probably got seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred. So it sounds like you're pretty particular about who you put in your database or keep in your database. You mentioned the price point that you want to work. Uh, what are the criteria for the people that you put in your database or keep in your database? You have to like them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, an agent came to me the other day and said, I have a problem client. What should I do? And I said, I, I can't answer that. And they said, why not? And I said, well, we don't have any. You know, we just, you know, I mean, for the level of service we're going to give, if someone doesn't fit for us, then we're not, you know, we don't want to represent them. And that's just it. I mean, it's just the way it goes. Because, you know, we're going to, if you're a client of ours, we're going to, we're going to be there. We're going to find you a dentist. We're going to find you a doctor. We're going to, you know, we're going to be there as much as you need us, whatever you need us for. I mean, people call me for the oddest things and I make sure to source it out for them and quickly. So you do more than just the real estate sale. As you said, you're tapped into the community. You become a community resource. Yeah. And I tell people when they move to town, hey, I'm going to be your best friend for a while. Do you do a lot of relocation work from people out of town? Relocation from the sense that we do people who are moving here to get a second home or a primary home, yeah. Whether they're moving here for a job, that's another thing. But we have a few relocation accounts. And we probably do six or eight a year, and that's about it. I mean, before we were kind of into the relocation business, and we chased around after that with the relocation council and all that kind of stuff, and we were members of it, and, you know, they charged you 1700 bucks a year to be in the thing. We got rid of that. I just went, you know, for $1,700, I can use that, or whatever it was. Maybe it was more. Maybe it was 2500 you know, my wife said, you want to renew this? And I said, what do you think? She said, well, what do we get out of it? And relative to the expense of it, because our name's going to be in with 100,000 other people, what kind of profile do we get out of that? I'd rather give the money away to the food bank because it would make me feel good. 
you know, I wouldn't be asking myself, hey, do you want to give my $2,500 to these people? And I go, most definitely. You want to buy turkeys for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, you know? So whatever you spend your money on, you got to feel good about it. And it's got to, it's got to be purposeful. Who is in your database of past clients and sphere of influence? You mentioned your past clients. The sphere of influence, how did you develop those folks? You got 2,300 or so people there. Who are they? How did they get into the database? Sphere of influence could be, like I spoke at NAR a couple of years ago and spoke at the Inman a number of years ago. I spoke at REMAX convention usually, except for this year. I'm too busy to go, but and they didn't ask me to speak. I guess they're tired of hearing me talk, but I don't blame them. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, it's people I meet at conventions. I keep in touch with them. They contact me. They ask me advice, and I'm happy to give it. Usually it's just listening to what they're doing, and they answer the question themselves. That's how I get them through the Chamber of Commerce, through the HOA, through golfing. I'm in a number of different men's groups that are golf groups, and, you know, we travel. So, you know, they make my sphere of influence. And send, when I meet them, I send them a handwritten note and that kind of thing. Acknowledging some sort of thing that we talked about, you know, I'll remember what we talked about, and I'll send it out. Let's talk about how you're staying in touch with your database of past clients and sphere of influence. If you were to map out for us, the plan that you have over a year to market to your past clients and sphere of influence, what would that look like? Is, are you making phone calls, mail outs, emails? You know, what is the structure of your, your plan look like? We do make phone calls. We do have an e-newsletter that we send out and that goes out once a week of timely real estate stuff and actually looks pretty good. I mean, you know, it's some of the blogs we've done, some of the local real estate news and national real estate news and we have it set up kind of like what Inman does but we do our own it goes only to our group which they seem to like it so uh, we send out birthday cards everybody gets a birthday card and a birthday present so we do it that way and then just being around you know your sphere of influence is people from the country club and there's 600 there so you know just playing golf frequently in different groups and I go on a lot of guy golf trips last year. I think it was on six or eight golf trips during the summer. Go to Canada because I'm from Canada and, you know, I know a lot of people up in the one city and my brother, fortunately for me, is in a private country club up there. That's a very good place for me to go and play in a member guest. I just recently got back from Hawaii. I played in a member guest there at a private club and every year I play in a member guest in Ireland, which is really fun and we played in the member guest and a group of us went to Scotland, small group, it was four of us that are all past clients and good buddies of mine and go to Chicago. I go to Chicago three times a year. I go to Kohler golfing once a year. I go up to Wisconsin a couple times a year. I go and see people in their hometown and especially it's really helpful if some sort of tournament going on because I'll know multiple people. The e-newsletter that you're sending out, is that something that you guys put together in-house or did you hire a company to do that? We put it together. There's a template for it and you can select your colors. And once you do your, once you do your artwork on your template, then you're pretty much set. We don't change it. Kind of like the color. It's blue and white, like a really nice blue and 
the background isn't white. It's a light, light blue, but it looks white. So it's easy on the eyes to read. You mentioned you're sending out birthday cards and presents. What kind of present do you send out? Oh, we just send them out a Starbucks card. I mean, what can you send someone that has everything, you know? And most people have everything they need. So I just got a call from a lady, and they moved out of town, and I sent it to her. And her husband just passed away, but, you know, they retired, and he passed away, like, I mean, within weeks. So she said it's been very difficult, but getting the birthday card and getting her getting a Starbucks card in it really made her day, and she really appreciated getting it, and someone was thinking about her, and so, you know, we had a long conversation about, you know, I just sold her home about four, five, six months ago, and just kind of a sad deal, but it made me feel good that she thought it was really great, that it made her, it made her a special moment for her when she opened it up, and I'd written, written a handwritten note and uh, a Starbucks, and she was going to go down and sit and enjoy Starbucks and have a special coffee that day. You mentioned phone calls. Do you have an objective to make a certain number of phone calls, either per day, per week, or per month? Yeah, five a day. <laughs> Not many. When you're making those phone calls, is your objective to call all 4,000 people in your database or all 1,700 past clients? Or do you have a smaller group that you try to stay more in touch with? Maybe they're your VIPs because they've sent more referrals or repeats over the years. A friend of mine who's very successful, he said that he's a CEO of a big company, and he said, you know, every day, write down three things you want to accomplish today. And then at the end of the day, ask yourself if he accomplished it. One guy who ran a division for him, he promoted him to a division head. And we were having dinner, the two of us, and they're both very successful guys and good friends of mine. The one guy was telling a story about, I'd get this call every day at 5 o'clock. Well, what did you accomplish today? That went on for a few weeks, and he said, every morning at 7 o'clock, I was thinking, okay, I got my three things that I'm going to accomplish today. So when my boss, and they become really good friends over the years, when my boss calls me, my CEO calls me, I'm going to have those three things every day. I'm going to have three things, and they're not going to be the same ones. He said, I think that's one of the reasons I've been so successful is I just had a small number of things, and those are the things I did it every day. And I've asked other people who are very, very successful, like I'm fortunate I have a number of CEOs that are clients of mine and started at, you know, started entry-level position in $8 an hour way back when. And I say, you know, because I'm always worried, hey, am I working enough of I Am I doing enough every day? Am I jamming enough into my schedule? Am I, you know, am I, am I? And I say to these guys that run big companies, I go, well, is your schedule jam-packed? And they go, no. Almost every one of them says no. I don't, as a matter of fact, I, no one's ever said, yes, it's jam-packed. They say, no, it's not. I have big gaps in my schedule. And I said, so what do you do? And they said, well, I, I, that's my thinking time. You know, I think about what I'm doing. And so my schedule isn't jam-packed every day. Some days it is, realistically, depending on what's going on. But for the most part, my day has got a lot of gaps in my schedule. So I can read, I can try to think about where our industry is going and what's going on and what's happening and where my business is going and 
what I'm going to do to make my lead generation activities and rainmaking activities better for myself and my team? And how can I improve their lives? You know, like I, I feel like a social responsibility to the people on my team. I feel a little social responsibility to my, you know, fellow colleagues here at Remax, and I'm always happy to help them, to my industry, to my city, my uh, state, and my country. I feel a lot of responsibility, immediate and distant, you know. So I think that being relatively organized and just having those three things, okay, what's one of them? I'm going to call five people today. That's one of my three things. My other thing could be, what am I going to accomplish today? I'm going to work on my putting for an hour. Wow. Well, that's not related to work. Yeah, but when I go over to the country club, I'm going to walk in, put on my shoes, and I'm going to run into four or five people. And inevitably, they ask me, what's the real estate market like? Or I'm going to be standing on the putting, and someone's going to come up to me and say, hey, you know, I was just thinking of calling you, being visual. So that's one hour accomplishes a couple of things. Proves my game and uh, also creates some visibility for me. I don't know if I'm different than everybody else. Everybody else is different than me. I think that's a fair comment, but it just works for me. I think as an agent, when you're trying to get there, you got to say, well, what, what's consistent and congruent with how I am? But at the same time, always be doing something. Get your three things. At the end of the day, say, guess what? I called my five people. I bumped into five people. I did this marketing thing. And just do one thing of your marketing thing, whatever it is. Okay, I'm going to get a postcard. Okay, great. And if that takes five minutes, great, you're finished. And you add it up at the end of the year, and you've got 365 days, and you go, okay, well, I, what did I accomplish this year? Well, I accomplished about 1,800 things because I did three things a day. Not that hard. And I'm lazy. I tell people I'm really lazy. And people go, well, I don't see you as being a lazy person. You're always working. Well, I'm always working at something. I'm working on my three things every day. And set the bar high. That's what my friend told me. Set the bar high. Have goals. And success is defined as the progressive realization of a predetermined worthwhile goal. So if you look at that statement, success is the progressive realization of a predetermined worthwhile goal. So if you break it down and you go progressive, it's, there's movement there, right? You've got to be moving to be progressive. Realization, in other words, every time you take a step, you realize something. Worthwhile. Well, it has to be worthwhile. It has to be congruent. It has to be honest. It has to be integrous. It has to be ethical. Predetermined. There's another word of that sentence. You have to write it down. And I see some people got a huge business plan and, you know, mine's simple. Like I go, this and this. Like it's very few things. And it's got to be a goal. So success is the progressive realization of a predetermined worthwhile goal. Success is a progressive realization of a predetermined worthwhile goal. And I'll never forget that. And that comes from Success Motivation Institute, the guy that founded it. If you listen to his old tapes... He defined it. And so I've always carried that with me every single day. And a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. I mean, you can't quit. 
And by just doing three things a day, you're not quitting. You're accomplishing something. You're feeling good about it. And then guess what? Take the rest of the day off or just walk around with your name badge on. I don't have one, but if that works, that's great. Say hi to people in the grocery line. Do whatever. Your past clients, do you have past client parties or events? Past clients and party events, yes. How do we do that? And how often do we do it? And where do we do it? And that kind of thing. I can cook. So like for Valentine's Day on Saturday night, you know, I mean, you get got a phone, get a reservation, got a, it's busy, it's how about me at a place or whatever. So I have three other couples coming over for dinner and I'm cooking dinner. And people love coming over to my house to eat dinner. Like one of my friends, when he comes to town, which he has a home here and a secondary home here, and he says his favorite place to eat is my house. And he, he always tells me that he's coming into town, and I always invite him over for dinner because he's my best buddy. So that's one way I do it. And I do that often. I think inviting people into your own home is more intimate. And, you know, I also don't invite people into my home that I don't like. And the people that come to my home get along and like the other people that come to my home. And my friends like my friends because I have another philosophy that my friends absolutely like, which is the definition of a true friend. A true friend, as far as I'm concerned, is that true friend will protect you against the people they know that you shouldn't. And that's not to say that you go and badmouth somebody. If someone asks you something about somebody, you just say, hey, like my mom said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Or you just go, hey, you know, you're on your own there. Or, you know, you don't need to go and create lots of gossip, but be careful. But they also know that I don't bring anybody into my house that's going to cause me any aggravation. I don't want to have a lot of stress, so I'm not going to bring that person in until I'm absolutely certain. Because my friends are very guarded. A lot of them are very extremely private. But my obligation is also to create some social interaction with my friends, because I like to do that, that they feel comfortable. And so I'm very selective with who comes to my home and how I entertain there. And also at our country club, it's really easy to get a group together and do that. So those things are all really great and they really help. Having a client party where there's 400 people invited, no, I don't do that. I mean, I sort of think, again, it's back to my philosophy of I want to do less make it smaller, become hyper-local with everything I do, period. Don't give anything away. I don't have any speeches. I don't have any vendors and sponsors. I'm going to do something for the hospital, so I'm going to have vendors and sponsors, and I'm probably going to do something like that, a community-wide event in our community. At our country club, I'll do that. And I did the food truck thing, my neighborhood, just my street, which was really fun. You know, I did it with another neighbor, and he said, hey, let's do that. And I said, okay, great. We can do it. So we just invited our street, and there was 54 people who showed up and about 18 kids. So a couple of parents, moms, and I said, hey, you're in charge of kid games. 
that's all you have to do, show up, kid games. And so we had one of the food trucks, which is a pretty popular thing, and it's kind of a hot thing in America right now. You know, we had the uh, ice cream truck that did milkshakes and everything like that, everything ice cream related. We got a couple people that I know that are really great at the country club that work at private parties, and we're familiar with them, which is great, and they worked real hard and pay good when people are working with us. You know, it was a big success. People loved it. The funny thing was, someone said, oh, we'll do this next year. We'll we'll take care of it. No, it was, this is the third year. We still haven't got anything in the books. So a lot of times I find, too, you have to be an initiator. A lot of people are, you know, people are busy. People have stuff going on. I get it. I think sometimes it's good to be an initiator. But again, a new agent, maybe just taking your client for coffee in the morning. Starbucks, that could be a client party of two. You walk in a restaurant, they say, how big's your party? Two, party of two, client party. But you do that every day? You do that every day for 365 days? You've touched, you've touched someone 365. Yeah, you do it like three times a week. That's like 156. That's a lot. How many coffee meetings do you have a month, Mike? <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. And, and you know what? Guess what, Mike? I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but it's the same for everybody. It's the same for me. It's the same for every agent or every salesperson or every business person. You know, and again, it boils down to the three things every day. Don, you mentioned these intimate get-togethers at your home where you'll cook for someone or a couple couples. Sounds like maybe three or four couples. How often do you do that? Oh, definitely once a month. And then, and then sometimes I'll have like 20 people over at one time, you know, and I cook for them all. And about two months ago, I had a big, a big rib dinner and I, you know, ribs and corn and beans and everything. So I make everything and I, you know, and I'm really organized. I'm really, I love cooking. I've got lots of kitchen equipment and I've got some people that like, you know, I have a number of friends of mine that are chefs or just plain good good cookers and sometimes we'll cook together we've done that before which is really a whole heck of a lot of fun too so it depends on how it's going depends on energy level too the dynamics of what's going on at home and that kind of thing let's talk about your team could you tell me who's on your team and i'm looking for a kind of the big picture structure of the positions and what the tasks are that each team member accomplishes there's four of us that deal with buyers and sellers then I have a listing coordinator and a leads coordinator so really there's only six of us you're one of the four one of the four that works with the buyers and sellers yeah so i remember being at the remax convention this is about four years ago or something, and I think I was number nine in the system or six or whatever it was. So I'm sitting beside this guy, and he was, what, if I was nine, he was eight. So I'd never met him before, and he was kind of a little stiff. And so, you know, I'm kind of a little bit outgoing. I said, hey, it's great to meet you. I'm Don Matheson, Scottsdale, Arizona, you know. Congratulations on a great year. It's terrific. And I said, what kind of volume did you do? And he said, $130 million. I go, wow, that's fantastic. I said, that is really fantastic. You really need to pat yourself on the back. And I said, how many people do you have in your team? He said, well, I have 25 or something. I said, no, that's just great. How do you keep track of all those people? 
He said, well, some days it's challenging. I said, yeah, I bet. So then he says, well, what about you, you know? I said, well, I did 100 and whatever, 100 million, 110 million, whatever. And he said, oh, great. So how many people do you have on your team? I said, eight. <laughs> he said, eight? How can you do that with eight? <laughs> I said, well, we're all really productive and really organized. I have an all-star team. I mean, they've been with me a long time. They know what they have to do. They're really, really smart. They work really, really hard. They have a lot of fun. There's no yelling or screaming in my office. If you were to come here, you'd see it's really quiet, really quiet. So the buyers and sellers do what buyers and sellers agents would do. We list and list homes and we take buyers out. Listing coordinator, what she does is all the marketing. And, and my belief is that, my belief is that as a salesperson, you should just interface with a client. In other words, write a contract, whether it's listing contract or buyer contract, write those. And then you bring the, listing contract in and the, this person takes it all and then you go back out and get another one, right? Then you bring that one in and you go back out and get another one. You shouldn't be slowed down from the sales process of listing homes by having to sit down now, fill out all the forms, do everything. Because when you go to a listing appointment here, all the forms are filled out. Everything's done for you, right? The comps are done. Everything's, comp, everything's done. All you have to do is review them with the listing coordinator. And she's really smart. I mean, she knows the market too. And then we had our own transaction coordinator. Now the office here of 150 agents wanted a transaction coordinator. Well, this young woman, she's been with me 10 years. And I said, the very best transaction coordinator in the whole valley is mine. And if she wanted to do it, I would let you talk to her. Because what she'll do is just do mine and I'll pay her on a contract basis. I won't have that salary, but she can make way more money. And so they asked her and she came to me and said, well, could I do that? I, I think I'll make more money. I said, yeah, you will. And yeah, by all means, give it a whirl. And so now she's doing it for the office, which is great. You know, she's going to make a lot more money and improve her life, which is fantastic. And then we have a leads coordinator. What's the leads coordinator do? Well, off our websites, we get inquiries, and like I'm in here talking to you right now, well, she's taking care of everything, and she's been with me 10 years. I mean, she talks like me, she writes like I talk, everything. She sets up all responses to prospective buyers that come off our websites. She bugs me who to call every day. She puts my calls in front of me, and she saw my case with a smile. And so she's great, and she also has a complete 100% authority to delete anybody she wants from the database. She just, she doesn't ask me, she just deletes them. And she deletes them because maybe they're not getting back to her and she'll only delete them like if it's been getting a negative response or the people have changed their mind. We learned a lesson, we deleted somebody and five years later they bought a house with us, a fairly big one. So. She leaves them in there. She'll communicate with them. She comes in every day. She has a, a drop-down list of everybody. They're, they're all on a kind of a rotating schedule of so many contacts per year. If they're going to come to town and do something with us or they're getting closer and want to list a home, then the frequency of contact picks up. Like it, Instead of every 
90 days, it, it scrolls back to every maybe 60 days and then 30 days and then weekly and then every second or third day. And she will contact the person and they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, my wife broke her leg. We can't come to town. She's got to recover and probably be three or four months. So then what she'll do is she'll put a note in the computer, wife broke leg, won't be in for three or four months in rehab now, right? And so in a month, she'll reach out to the guy again and say, hey, how's your wife's recovery from her broken leg, right? And so then you develop a deep personal online relationship with that person. And when they come to town, they're not going to go to five agents. They're going to say, you know, this person cared about me. Because we do. Are you profitable? Yeah, very profitable. And I'm so glad you asked that question of profitability, eh? That's a good one. (laughs) Don, would you mind disclosing to us what your net profit margin is? We pay taxes on about 60%. Let me say this about that. In the year 2000, we made a commitment to stop all Homes and Lands magazine advertising. Our gross commission income went up. We made a concerted effort to buy leads from Trulia, Zillow, and Realtor.com. And we tracked them on an Excel spreadsheet for two years. So two questions. One, did we get a lot of leads? Yes, we did. Two, the comment is that they were very, very time intensive. In other words, we had to follow up quickly, which we did. There was lots of them in the system. So every day, my leads coordinator would come in and there'd be she'd just be going crazy with them all and she'd reach out to them all. And inevitably, they weren't great leads. And at the end of the day, when we looked at how much money we made from the leads relative to what we paid and relative to how labor-intensive it was, we decided to quit. And we quit Realtor.com, we quit Trulia, and we quit, quit Zillow two reasons. One, it wasn't profitable for us. Now, it might be profitable for other agents. And two, just philosophically, I kind of didn't really like the idea of buying my leads back from a third party and paying for them when I probably could spend all that money generating my own leads. And I would say to agents, that are listening today that, hey, listen, if it makes you money, well, that's really wonderful. But, you know, keep a track of how many it is, how much time and effort, and how much money you spend getting it relative to your revenue. And I think that if you take that money, at least for us, this was true, take that money and spend it on your own website, your own clients, your own marketing activities, getting a great quality assistant or assistant help some way, I think you'll make way more money, become way more successful. And it's really exciting to see this whole thing going on with Rupert Murdoch and Realtor.com and Move Inc. and Move Inc. not renewing Zillow's contract as of April 8th. 
truly is going to last longer, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But having said that, and that's to do with List Hub, uh, Move Ankles List Hub. So I think what's going to happen when that came out, I knew we were on the right path because I think what's going to happen is that and Trulia and Zillow couldn't do this. They couldn't become a hyper-local agent. And the consumer today wants really fine grains of information and market intelligence that those aggregators or portals can't give. And that's the reason that years ago, people were so worried that the Internet was going to drive real estate agents out of business. And some people said that. And in fact, the opposite happened because at the end of the day, the consumer needed someone to transact that, someone who had local knowledge, who was very skillful, who could exhibit the fact that they knew what they were doing. And so our websites were going hyper-local, hyper-local content. We're paying closer attention to really dominating a smaller market area. And by smaller, not too small, but smaller enough that we're going to be able to make money off of it by studying it and seeing, hey, what's the turnover rates and the things that we talked about before. So I think that you're seeing that NAR is continuing spending money on promoting Realtor.com, which is kind of laughable, but they're spending our money promoting another company, which they have no control of. They're only an advisory position, not a board position anymore. So I think get back to the basics, have your own website, make sure it's local. I think having an internet presence is just a great thing. Interact with people face-to-face, become hyper-local in your market, and hyper-local means be visible. Hyper-local means support your local merchants, buy American, support our own economy, all those things. And I think if you do that as an agent, you're going to be super successful. And super successful is whatever success you want, whatever success you define as your goal and and how you want to have your life unfold in front of you. So that's all I got to say about that. I'm excited. I'm excited about the business. I'm excited about the people that I see coming into the business. I'm excited about seeing the young people, the new agents that come into the business. They're thirsty to learn. They're hungry to perform. They want to do well. They got lots of energy. They're exciting to watch. So I think real estate is here to stay, contrary to what it maybe some other naysayers might want to convince you of. I think it's just going to be great. The next decade is going to be really, really fun. Don, what drives you? I think what motivates me to succeed is I don't have children, but I have young people that work for me. And work for me for a long time, so I feel a strong social responsibility to them. I guess my parents always taught me to do the right thing and try to accomplish your goals and and have a really solid mental game about how you go about doing it. I've had a lot of great coaches that have been very, very helpful to me, whether sports coaches or business coaches. I think what drives me is knowing what I want and and trying to figure out, you know, because it's a game to me, how I can get there. And also being responsible to my team, my teammates, my industry, and my state, my country. I think those things motivate me to do well. Because I think the other thing that I'm excited about 
is the better I can succeed, the more I can help other people. Charitably wise, and I'll also help people on my team succeed and accomplish their goals, both personally and professionally. I enjoy the business. I've enjoyed the business for 38 years. And I remember 35 years ago, I said, I would do this business for free. It's so much fun. It's so dynamic. It's so changing. It's what works today doesn't work tomorrow. So it's, it's intriguing. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to see real estate be built. It's fascinating to see homes and, and how they've changed with the energy efficiency over the last couple decades. And I mean, there's just so much excitement going on in, in real estate and housing. And housing, some people say it's a 10-to-1 employer. Every person you see putting up drywall, there's 10 people behind them doing some other job. I mean, it's a phenomenal job creator, both in Canada, where I came from and started my career, and, and certainly here as well. So, you know, those things get me really excited, you know, just... I get pumped up. I just feel like I'm part of the economy, you know, and I'm part of my responsibility to help people succeed and create jobs. And that's it. Don, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell them to make sure they're capitalized, properly capitalized. And I would tell them to get some sales training. And I think, I think there's some people that do a really great job of it. I think, I think Mike Ferry does a great job. I was just up in Las Vegas practicing with Mike for a few days in his group there with a group of other agents from around the country, which was great. And now they're in my sphere of influence. I add them to the database. But, you know, it was really exciting to be there and get excited and refresh my scripts and dialogues and call people on the phone cold and that kind of thing. So I think Mike Ferry does a good job. I think Brian Buffini does a good job too. And I think Tom Ferry does a good job. There's a lot of people in the business. Not too long ago, I still stay in touch with is Jerry Bresser. And he's like up way up in his eighties and he still calls me. Right. And I appreciate it. He's still trying to sell something. It's still trying to make people great. And I think that if I was an agent, brand new, the problem with our industry is there's no training. And people, oh yeah, come to here and we'll show you how to fill out a listing document or we'll show you how to write a contract or, well, that's not what you need. My one friend who used to run Spiegel Catalog, and I don't know if you remember Spiegel, but I'd never heard of it because I didn't grow up in the United States, but he was a CEO there and he says, nothing happens till a sale is made. Nothing ha- He's 86. I had breakfast with him the other morning. He said, Don, nothing happens till a sale is made. I said, really? I said, wow, that's awesome. You're right. Nothing happens till a sale is made. So what do you have to do as a new agent? Well, you have to learn to listen. You have to learn to ask the right questions. So you need some sales training, whether it's Dale Carnegie, going to Mike Ferry. I think Mike Ferry would, is very helpful. And, you know, I've had my team go up there, and they've learned a lot about qualifying and listening. The better you can do that as a new agent, the better your business is going to be and the faster it'll get started. But you're going to have to, as a new agent, invest in the business. And if you don't want to invest in the business, don't go into the business, period. And don't go sit at some place where they're going to teach you to fill out a listing form. It's not your job. That's not sales creation. that's paperwork. And if you're going to do that, you might as well go be a listing coordinator for somebody and 
if you come on my team, you get paid a lot, but you know, because I believe in sharing it and moving it around, but that's what I think. Get sales training, get it first, make sure you're capitalized to go into the business and capitalized could be staying at your parents, you know, for six months or eight months till you get going. Don, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any other parting thoughts for the listeners? Do what you say and say what you do. Or say what you do and do what you say. I mean, they kind of go together. Let me share another thing that we've been doing recently with our clients. Here's what we say to them. We say, you know, Mike, you can call me for anything. You need a plumber, call me. You need a handyman, you call me. You need a painter, you call me. Because I tell you what, Mike, I'm guaranteeing their work. I'll guarantee it gets done right. If you have a problem, call me. I'll make sure it's done right. And if I have to go get another painter or plumber or electrician or whatever to get it done right, I'll go get one and I'll pay them. I guarantee everybody that comes to your door that I send there, cleaning ladies, everybody. My clients love it. They absolutely love it. And so guess what happens? Now they're calling me all the time. It's reduced the number of outbound calls to inbound calls. And I don't know how I thought of that one day. Because I, I send so much business to these guys and gals that have these companies. And I don't want to ask them for any money because I don't think that's right. But at the same token, when my client calls them, or I call on behalf of my client and say, hey, uh, Bob, you know, or Josh, you need to go over to Bill's house because he wants to paint and he wants a good job and he wants a fair price. You know, he doesn't want the cheapest price. He wants a fair price. And guess what? That guy goes over there immediately. And I always call back, hey, how'd you get along with Josh the painter? He was awesome. Fantastic. Best painter I ever had. I couldn't believe it. Fair price. I had another quote. It was cheaper. But fair price, and he was here. He was here, and he made sure everything got done right. So that's something that's working really well for us right now. It's kind of like Don's list instead of Angie's list. Well, Don, you've combined your passion for golf with your talent for business to build an incredibly successful practice. You've shown that relationships are the foundation to any successful business. Everything you do initiates, nurtures, and maintains your friendships and networks. Playing golf to meet people, hosting small parties at your home, cooking for your friends, traveling with your clients, and even recommending painters and plumbers, and guaranteeing their work. You truly love real estate, and it shows. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 98 homes last year worth $18 million while fixing and flipping homes on the side. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks.
If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.